You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Uh, We are actually in part three of our series, Kings and Priests, and we've been looking at Revelation chapter one, verses five and six, that describe how we have been washed in the blood of Christ. We've been redeemed, set free, saved from our sins, but we've just not just been saved from something, we've been saved for something. We've been saved from sin, from death, from hell, from separation from God, but it's been for a purpose, for relationship with Jesus, for eternal life, and for the purpose of God right here on the earth. And we've actually uh, been looking at uh, our mission as a church, which is to know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. And we're particularly focusing on discovering purpose as we dive into this series, because he has made us kings and priests. And what that looks like is every single one of us has a ministry first as a priest to God. What that looks like is we're people of prayer, people of worship, people that draw near to God. We're also people that are called kings and that means that we've been redeemed for a God-given purpose to expand the kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus, to impact people's lives, to see lives transformed by the good news of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And today we're actually going to look at a really a, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, uh, especially in the Old Testament. It's Isaiah 6, and it's a story of an Old Testament priest and prophet named Isaiah who had an encounter with God that called him into his God-given purpose. And every single one of us has a purpose from God. We were created for eternity. We were created for an eternal purpose to bring people to heaven. We were created for the purpose to impact lives, to make a difference in the world. And each one of us has a part to play in that. Your gifts are different than my gifts. And each one of us has a special, unique God design that we've been created and fashion before we were even born by heaven God had a purpose for our lives and so we're going to look at kind of how to walk that out a little bit from this incredible story of Isaiah experiencing his calling from God in Isaiah chapter 6 I'm going to read you the first few verses and then we're going to talk about it today Isaiah chapter 6 and here's what it says in verse 1 in the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, and each one of it had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And the one cried to another, and here's what they said. These seraphim are angels of the Lord. They're uh, beings that are created by God to worship God. They're at the very throne room of heaven, and they're before God's presence, unfiltered, unveiled, nothing uh, obscuring their view of the glory and majesty of God. And here's what they sing out. They sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. The doorposts are the the most solid place in any structure generally. And these doorposts were even shaken by the voice of their worship, by the voice of their singing as they declared, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. Then Isaiah, who's seeing this heavenly vision, the spiritual vision before the throne of God, here's what he says, Woe is me, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, 
having in his hand a live coal which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity or your sin has been taken away. Your sin has been purged. And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah's response is what we're looking at today. Here's what he said. Here am I. Here am I. Send me. A couple of things I want to look at in this story. First off, it starts with a uh, declaration of the present news and condition of the country. Uh, here's Isaiah. He's a prophet of Israel. He's a prophet of the Lord. And that means that uh, God had called him to be his spokesman. God had created him and called him, anointed him, uh, chose Isaiah to be God's mouthpiece, to share the message of God to his generation. And as a result of that calling, Isaiah had a responsibility to, to, to be with God, to encounter God, and then deliver what God shared with him. But he was at a personally, was at a place of discouragement, I believe, uh, because of the condition of the nation. It actually says, uh, not without purpose, that uh, it was in the year that King Uzziah died that Isaiah saw the Lord. And if you don't know the story, Uzziah was a good king. He started out as a good king, but because of his own pride and because of uh, his own arrogance and uh, desire to take on more than God had created him for, uh, he ended up getting out of the purpose of God, out of the will of God, and actually brought shame and disgrace to the not only his own rule and reign as a king in his own life, but ultimately the nation. The Bible says when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. And uh, oftentimes, uh, but it says sin is the reproach of any nation. When there's a uh, when, when there's a leadership failures, when there's a problem, uh, whether it's in government, family, uh, parents, in any area of life, that, that leadership has an impact. And, and here's where they're at as a nation. They're discouraged because of the condition uh, that Uzziah brought the nation into. And it, but it says, in the year that Uzziah died, he saw the Lord. And this is so important that no matter what our present condition no matter what our present circumstance is. See, just in the moment. Now, uh, for Isaiah, it was when he was experiencing uh, the hope that he had had and the potential in Uzziah uh, died with Uzziah. And so it could have been easy for Isaiah the prophet to get discouraged, uh, to think, man, it's over. There was so much hope, so much potential, and yet it's gone, it's dead. Uh, but even in seasons, you know, there's some seasons in life where we say, uh, you know, in the year that, that, that I lost my job or in the year my marriage failed or in the year that uh, I, I, I dealt with health problems, in that year uh, I, I, I was walking through hell, what do I do? Uh, but it's in that same place and position when our kids are far from God, when, uh, when, when everything seems to not be working the way we thought it would, just like Isaiah, we need to see the Lord. And I've got three points for you from this message. The very first one is this, be fixated. If you're taking notes, write this down, be fixated. The very first thing Isaiah had to get a glimpse of was the majesty and the glory of God, which had not changed. Even though circumstances were not good in, in, in their present political life and in their, their the nation's condition, but here's what Isaiah had to see. He had to see the Lord. And it's in our life, in the very moments that we feel discouraged, when we feel like quitting, giving up, when we feel like there's no hope, we need to see the Lord. And we need to have our eyes fixated on the only one who never changes. Life never stays the same, but God never changes. God's promise is always true. One of his attributes is that God is 
faithful. He is faithful to his promise. He's faithful to his word. He will carry out and do what he said he'll do. And even when people fall or fail, even when life takes a detour, God's constancy is a source of hope and faith. Because when we see the Lord, we recognize he's not moved by our present circumstance. He's not moved by what we're going through. He's not moved by what we're afraid of or or what we feel ashamed by. God is the same and God has an answer for every single one of us, for every family, for every business, for every job, for every marriage. He has an answer and it all starts with having our eyes fixed on him and ultimately having our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith as we talked about last week he's the author the finisher the alpha the omega the beginning the end and we need to have our eyes fixated on him and here's what happened it says that uh, isaiah saw the lord and in that moment he saw the lord high and lifted up see when we see the lord we recognize that when life is at its worst god is at his best when life seems like it's, it's everything's falling apart, that's when we need to know who our real foundation is. And maybe you're not in a season that's tough, but you still need to see the Lord. You need to recognize that he's the source of, of, of the good things that are happening in our life. He's the source of our provision. He's the source of our strength. He's the source of our hope. He's everything we need. And whether we're in a tough season or a good season, no matter what life, uh, wherever life is, we need to behold him. We need to have our eyes fixed on him. And when you live a life with your eyes fixed on Jesus, you will not be moved. You will not be moved and, and, and you won't fall apart in, uh, in the tough times and you won't be puffed up in pride in the good times. You'll be, you'll be dependent upon the only one who's unchanging, uh, who's faithful. And when we see the Lord, you know, in life, we often look through life through a lens, you know, in uh, social media on like Snapchat or Instagram, we have filters that we use uh, to change the way we see ourselves or project our image to the world or the way we take a picture, we change it to change the color and the focus. And, and a lot of times we look spiritually at life through a lens as well. We even look at God through a lens. We view God through the lens of our hurts, our disappointments, uh, broken relationships, maybe a, a bad parent or a, a, a bad boss or uh, somebody hurt us in the church. And we begin to view God through a filter uh, of our own broken situation. And Isaiah could have looked at the Lord through any other lens. But in that moment, just like the angels, the seraphim who were before the throne, Isaiah had to see the Lord unfiltered and without a veil, without any obstruction. He had to behold God as he truly is. And that's what we need to do. We need to have an unfiltered view of God. That's why it's so important to spend time in God's word because it strips away every unhealthy filter, every unhealthy thing we've viewed God and even people through. Uh, We have God's word to peel that away and cause us to be able to see God through the lens of the truth of his word as he truly is. When we spend time in prayer and in worship, we magnify. I told you this at the beginning of the series that whatever we worship, we magnify. Uh, we make bigger in our eyes. You can't make God bigger in of who he is. He's, he's God. But in our soul, in our own viewpoint, we can uh, magnify our problems or magnify our fears or we can magnify the Lord. And that's what worship does. We need to see him unfiltered. Uh, you know, I've, I've found over the years that faith, faith actually comes from what we behold. 
Uh, I used to think that, you know, if I looked at my life, I should expect to see like a faith meter. You know, do I have enough faith for this? Do I, do I believe enough to, to see God work in this area? And I, I just found that the most effective way to see my faith grow is to continually set my eyes on Jesus. When I set my eyes on Jesus, uh, I don't have to worry about, do I have enough faith? Because faith is the result of what I'm beholding. Faith is the result of what I have my gaze fixated on. And as I behold him, the problem becomes eclipsed. You know, I, I love to look at night skies. I, look to, I love to look at the stars. Uh, but, but when the sun comes out, uh, the, the view, it's not as if the dark of night goes away, but the sun, uh, the, the light of the sun almost overpowers it. And what you see is the strongest and closest light source to where you're at. And so the closer we get to the throne, the closer we get to, to the presence of God, to the word of God, to the truth of God, the closer we draw near to Jesus, the more the dark becomes eclipsed by something far more powerful and something far closer. And that's why we need to have our eyes fixated on Jesus. Uh, let's, let's look at uh, Psalm 46, uh, beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. It's the Psalm of the sons of Korah. Uh, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. That's good news, church. The Lord of hosts is with you. The God of Jacob is our refuge. He's your refuge. And here's what verse 10 says, be still. This is the posture of faith when your eyes are fixated on the king, the one who's high and lifted up. Isaiah saw him high and lifted up, and that meant he's high above every problem, every pain, every brokenness, every circumstance. God is higher in position, higher in authority. That means everything that's over your head is actually under his feet, and because it's under his feet, it can be under your feet. But also, not only is he higher in position and authority, but he's also higher in worth. He's the only one worthy of your attention. Do you know your problems and pain are not worthy of your entire focus? He's the only one who's worthy of your focus. And here's what it says, be still and know that I am God. When my eyes are fixated on Jesus, faith is the result. The streams that, that it says may glad the city of God, joy is the result. Joy begins to pour in like a river into my soul as I fix my eyes on God. No matter my situation, no matter what I'm going through or walking through, I have my eyes fixed on Him. The result will be peace, will be joy, will be God's comfort, His healing, uh, His freedom. Uh, this is so important. So we've got to recognize where is our attention. Now, as I've said many times, faith is not pretending like there aren't problems. It's not ignoring them, but just like the sun shines and the darkness gets overpowered and we go from night to day, Jesus is called our bright and morning star for a reason. The morning star comes out at the darkest of night, the darkest point of night. It's letting us know darkness isn't the end. And we need to, as we look at our 
personal life and honestly the world around us. Things are, are dark in the world. They're dark in our situation, but the good news is God's light breaks forth. God's light is always greater, and we need to see the Lord. Just like Isaiah did, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. So your problems and pain are not worthy of you losing sleep at night. It's not worthy of you having your attention and focus, but our attention needs to be on the King who's high and lifted up. And, and the response to the, the, the exaltation of God, that God is high and lifted up, is worship. So these angels around the throne, and as they're around the throne, they're responding with worship. Worship can be defined as you divide that word up. It comes from worth-ship, and the idea is that we uh, uh, approach God and give to God what he's worthy of, what he's worth. To, to worship or worship is to respond to the worth of the object of our attention, the object of our affection, the object of our uh, adoration and worship. So when we recognize who God is, I think so many times we don't worship as Christians because we've had a low view of the majesty of God. We've lost sight of how big God is in our life. We've allowed just, just our ordinary routine, our problems, our pains, uh, what we're walking through to actually become our focus. And as a result, we've had a diminished view of the majesty of God. And that's what I want us to, to, to see shift today. That just like uh, Isaiah had to see the Lord in the midst of a tough season, he had to behold and fix his eyes on God. The result of that was a posture of worship. The angels around the throne have no filter, no veil. They know nothing but the unfiltered, unveiled glory and majesty of God since the moment of their creation. And because of that, they see the world through the lens of his glory, not see God through the lens of their pain and brokenness. See, the angels are before the throne and they, as they worship the majesty of God saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Do you know what they also say? The whole earth is full of his glory. It's not as if there wasn't sin. It's not as if there wasn't pain. It's not as if there wasn't darkness in the world. There actually was quite a bit of it. But their majesty of God, became, their view of the majesty of God was so great that they saw the world through the lens of his glory. And we need to be a people that see others, that see the world around us, that see our families and our marriages and our relationships through the lens of God's glory, that God has a purpose, that God is going to restore, God will redeem, and God is working all things together for, for, for my good and his glory. So when we look at life, through the lens of the glory of God, first in worship. In Luke chapter 11, uh, Jesus told us the importance of worship and prayer because when we look at things through the lens of worship, our faith is built. We don't get discouraged like other people get discouraged. We don't lose our hope like other people lose our hope. We stay confident in God. And that's why in Luke 11, uh, Jesus, as his disciples came to him, they asked him, they said, Lord, teach us to pray like John the Baptist taught his disciples. And they go to Jesus and they ask him because they see something in the, the prayer life, in the walk of Jesus. And of course, he's the son of God. He's fully God. And so what he does, he does as the son of God, but he's also has the word become flesh. He's fully God 
and fully man. It's the amazing beauty of Jesus that he became man. He became flesh. The word became flesh so that uh, and dwelt among us. And so Jesus did this not just to, of course, the primary reason was to take our place. He had to die as a man, fully man, taking our place on the cross to take our sin so that we could be forgiven and saved. But he also did it to model what the, 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 you were created to walk in, what the normal Christian life would be, empowered with the Holy Spirit. And so the root of that, the foundation of a, of a powerful, faithful life is a foundation of prayer. And the disciples, you know, they're, they're used to prayer with the religious crowd, but they saw something in Jesus that was different. So they came to Jesus as his followers. They said, can you teach us to pray? And here's what Jesus did. He gave them what we know of as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and it, it starts with this. He says, in this manner, pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name. Holy, uh, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and then he goes into personal needs. He says, and pray uh, day by day, give us day by day our daily bread. And he gets into uh, the aspect of prayer that most of us may be familiar with, that we go to God and we ask him for our needs to be met. And that's a good thing. But he didn't start with that. He said, this is the manner or, or the, the, the kind of foundation of what prayer is to be. He says, start with relationship. Go to God as your father. But then he also says, go to God and worship. So before we even get to the posture of asking for God's will to be done in our lives and in the world around us, or for God to meet our needs, protect us, provide for us, he says, start with worship. Start with worship. A high view of God and worship is actually what builds and, and, and makes room for our faith to expand. When we start with worship, our attention is on the one uh, who can move mountains on our behalf. So that's where faith is grown. That's where prayer is meant to start. We start in the place and posture of worship. When we pray just from a position of need, uh, when we're focused only on need, oftentimes we pray from a place of fear. We, play, we pray from a place of uh, even unbelief sometimes. God, if you can do anything, I, I hope you can do this. Uh, instead, when we pray first with a posture of worship, our view of God begins to eclipse everything else and we begin to pray with confidence and faith because we've seen the Lord. We've recognized, God, you're greater than what I'm walking through. Uh, while I have a diagnosis, you're the healer. While I have a broken relationship, you're the reconciler. God, you're the one that moves mountains. You're the one, uh, while I've uh, walked through this financial need, God, you're the provider. And our view becomes shaped first by who our God is. So we need to see the Lord. Uh, the second point today is to be ignited. First, we need to be fixated. Secondly, we need to be ignited. Uh, there's just a, a principle that proximity produces change. Change can only happen in my life as a Christian by proximity. And the amazing thing is we are invited to draw near to the throne of grace. Uh, we're invited to draw near because of Jesus. The way has been made for us to come near to God. Uh, in the book of James, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So as we behold the Lord and we do that through getting in his word, spending time in prayer, spending time in worship, all of these things create a posture of the heart where we see the Lord high and lifted up in our lives. 
But then we move into a place of being ignited, being transformed, being changed. When you ignite a fire, it changes uh, the environment. It warms it up. It provides light. But it also uh, it, it impacts everything that it touches. And fire changes things. And, and, and so when our life, our faith is ignited by passion and by the presence of God, things change. The Christian life was never meant to be lived without the fire of God. The, the Christian life was never meant to be lived with a cold heart, a cold religion, a cold, empty tradition. But we were meant to be ignited. And here's the key in the story. It says that the angels, the seraphim as they're called, seraphim literally means burning ones in Hebrew. And these seraphim, these angels, are those closest, as described in this, this vision, the story, they're closest to the throne. And as they're close to the throne, they're worshiping, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. But their proximity is why I believe they're called the burning ones. They're radiating, they're reflecting God's majesty and glory. Why? Because they're close. And the closer I get to Jesus, the more I'm changed by him. We were never meant to keep God at arm's length. And honestly, I believe the reason why many people struggle to grow in their faith and their walk with God is they do keep God at arm's length. They want to they be close enough to God to receive some help from uh, or temporary relief from our problem, but not enough to be transformed by his love, by his glory, by his freedom, by his truth. And when we get close to God, uh, while we experience uh, transformation, that transformation happens through being ignited, ignited by the presence of God. Uh, I've said it many times, you know, we were never meant to live without being on fire for Jesus. That was not just for the day we said yes to God and were saved and passed from death to life. Every day as a Christian is a day I can be ignited. And, and whenever I disconnect and, and allow distance in my relationship with God, and that, can, that starts small, that starts every day. And when I allow that distance, uh, the result will always be my heart will become colder, will become more distant, will even harden uh, towards the things of God. And that's why I've got to stay close to Jesus. That's why I've got to draw near to God every day. Uh, and when I draw near and spend time with God, the result will be I'll be ignited. God wants us to be burning lights for him. The way we bring light to the world, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But then he told his people, he says, you are the light of the world. You don't hide that light under a bowl. Uh, set it on a hill, be a city on a hill. The reason for that is because we're called to be burning lights. Fire is, it gives light. And you and I are called to be passionate for God, on fire for God. And that looks like we love Jesus passionately and we love people as, a, as an overflow of that. Uh, we're meant to be on fire for God every single day. The result will be, we'll light the world up. Uh, we'll bring hope where there's hopelessness. Now, in that interaction, as the angels are singing, holy is the Lord, uh, Isaiah then recognizes his own need. He says, I'm undone. Uh, I, I'm un I have unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Something happens in the presence of God uh, that, that oftentimes people really are confused by because stuff starts to come up in their own heart, in their own life, that they wonder, uh, why am I thinking this? Why am I battling this? Why is this? Well, light has a way of revealing what's already been there, what I've buried, what I've hidden. But it's not a bad thing. When I come into the presence of God, it reveals my need, but it also reveals the answer. And here's what it does. Isaiah says, I have unclean lips. He's convicted of his own. Well, well he 
be a prophet to declare the word of the Lord out of his own mouth. He recognizes, man, my words haven't been good. My attitude hasn't been good. I even dwell among a people of unclean lips. Uh, and he says, I've, woe is me, I'm undone because my eyes have seen the king. But it's this view of God that actually creates an opportunity for him to be transformed uh, in God's presence. An angel, uh, when the seraphim comes to him with a, a burning uh, coal from the altar in, in heaven uh, and, and it touches his lips. And this is all symbolism to represent and is a spiritual experience to represent uh, that God is transforming and touching his lips, uh, marking him. Uh, when, 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 when you touch something hot and, and burning, it marks you. Uh, it leaves a mark. It leaves a scar. And here's what happens. This was a good kind of uh, contact. Uh, he's, his sin is purged away. His uh, lips are changed. The way he speaks is changed. Why? Because he's to be a messenger. And don't be afraid if God starts working in you deeply, starts dealing with your heart or your attitudes or the way you treat those closest to you, because God is doing something in you, one, to cause you to experience freedom in a greater way, but also because he wants to work through you. If we allow God to work in us, God can work through us. And we need to be burning lights to the world, but that can only happen as we first are transformed. Religion's really good at pointing fingers at, at the world without experiencing personal transformation, but that's not what changes things. We need change First, it starts with us as we draw near to Jesus. And so here's what he does. He experiences transformation. Uh, and, and, and the angel says to him, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. See, Isaiah could not move forward until something that he carried in was taken away, until something was changed. And I believe some of us are, are trying to move forward, but we can't because we're holding on to something. Maybe it's our attitudes, our words, our, uh, something in our heart that we're carrying, and God deals with us to set us free. It's always for, for, for his glory, but our good as well. Uh, and so this is important. Sometimes what we need to let go of, you know, Isaiah's issue was in his mouth. And I think for a lot of us, that's the same thing. Our issue is what we've been saying. We've been speaking death over our relationships. We've been talking about our pain and talking about our past. And God can't move us forward as long as we're stuck holding on to what's behind us. And so that's why things like forgiveness, not only receiving forgiveness, but extending forgiveness are so powerful. For Isaiah to be able to speak blessing and be able to speak the word of the Lord to the nation and plant God's will through his words, he had to first experience personal transformation. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, in verse 13 and 14, Paul said this, Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of, of, of Christ Jesus. Paul the Apostle says, you know, I haven't arrived yet. That's good news. You know, none of us have arrived yet. We won't arrive this side of heaven. We're always going to be in a process of, of becoming more like Jesus, experiencing greater growth and change and transformation. But here's what he says. He says, I, I, I do one thing. I let go, forgetting what's behind, to press on to what's ahead. And Isaiah had to press on to what was ahead, so there had to be change. And all of us, kings and priests, redeemed by God, set free, 
need to move forward to experience all that God has for us. But that means sometimes we've got to let go of, of, of some hurts. We've got to let go of offenses. Uh, we've, got to, we've got to forgive those who've even left us or betrayed us or whatever it is. Whatever's keeping us and keeping you from moving forward, I'm going to challenge you to let God bring cleansing and transformation and healing and ask Him, God, help me to forgive. Help me to release that. It's not always something we can do on our own. We need God's help. We need God's grace to do that. The third and final point is this. We need to be available. We need to be available. Uh, the Lord then, after Isaiah experiences this cleansing and transformation, uh, the Lord from the throne actually says this statement, who shall I send? Who shall go for us? Uh, who will go? Who will we send? Who is heaven going to send on our behalf? Uh, and, and as the Lord is saying this, he's asking a question, but it's meant to provoke a response. See, in every generation, I believe God's answer is to send men and women equipped with the gifts of God, equipped with the word of God and empowered by the Holy Spirit. You are an answer to your family. You're an answer to this city. You're an answer to North Iowa. You, you're an answer to this generation. God knew what our generation needed when he sent you, when he created you. Uh, and just like Isaiah, Isaiah is actually before the throne. And uh, God says, who will we send? And I believe it's kind of a setup. You know, there's nobody else there besides the angels. They're singing, they're worshiping. And Isaiah says, uh, here I am. I'm here. And he makes himself available. It's in surrender, it's in making ourselves available that we say yes to Jesus, say yes to God, and God can use our life powerfully. And let me just say, as I begin to turn it over to our team, who's going to share the rest of this message and then pray for you today, uh, that no one else is coming. There's nobody else. Oftentimes we think that, uh, you know, somebody else will deal with the situation. Somebody else will be, uh, will, will see America saved and see a revival come. No, we're the church. We're the church for this hour. We're the church for this generation. We are born for such a time as this. It's not somebody else's calling to pray. It's not somebody else's responsibility to serve. It's not somebody else's responsibility to impact the lives of North Iowa. It is the church in our generation that you and I are a part of that are called to make an impact. No one else is coming, but we need to make ourselves available. And can I just tell you, it's not about your ability and mine. God's not looking for our ability. He's looking for our availability. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.